0: I'm a little bit confused because I'm assuming these are buffalo wings, so I'm assuming that they're already sauced. And so I don't know why I would add a second sauce to them. I would just order the sauce I wanted in the first place. I don't I don't know why you would be dipping and saucing wings there. Uh, T.Y. Hilton. I held on to T.Y. Hilton for far too long. Should have accepted a second-round rookie pick two years ago and didn't. And now he's going to retire on my bench or on waivers. Who are the wide receivers we should be selling before they fall off a cliff? And what would you be hoping to get in return? Um, so I kind of have a different perspective on guys like Hilton and and just older wide receivers. Um, I kind of view it as, you know, like it's a risk. You know, TY Hilton, the way it played out did not get you much these last couple of years. You should have sold. Um, it could have played out differently. Maybe he got two or three or four even thousand yard seasons more after this. Um, And I think it was reasonable two years ago. I I probably would not have sold for a second rounder either, unless it's, you know, like a high second rounder and there's somebody on the clock that I want. I don't I don't think you should have sold for a second rounder two years ago. And obviously, in Hilton's case, that that worked against you. But it's to me, it's all about making smart bets. And I think that was the smart bet at the time, given what we knew. Um, and so based on that, I don't really know. I'm, I'm more comfortable with dudes retiring on my bench just because I view that as a educated and calculated risk. Um, I'm trying to think there aren't a whole lot of guys past 30 who are super productive at the moment. I guess Thielen would be the biggest one. Um, but given what I've seen on what Thielen's costing in a lot of cases, I'd, I'd be pretty happy to ride him out. And um, if he retires, he retires. And if he gets three more years, he gets three more years. Um, I mean, I did sell him in, in one of my leagues last year, uh, last off season heading into this season. But that was more just because I had like seven good wide receivers and he wasn't going to crack my starting lineup. And if a guy's not in my lineup and he's old, he's out of there. But if I'm starting him, I'll, I'll, comfortably ride older guys into the sunset sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but it's just about making smart choices with the information you have it at the time uh, some of the best values at their current prices I am not really up on current prices I haven't been following January ADP yet that's usually one of the first things I like to do is uh when a fresh batch of ADP comes out, is pull it up. And I really like to compare to redraft rankings. Um, Football Guys has rest-of-year projections by a guy named Bob Henry. He's won a ton of awards in the industry. For my money, he's the best rest-of-year projector in the industry. Um, And I don't just say that because I work there. I mean, I subscribed to Football Guys for years before I worked there. But I like to compare Dynasty ADP to Bob Henry's projections. And if there are any guys uh one guy who i who i'll say is um uh i think DeAndre Swift has is is up a lot now from where he was a couple months ago i i think i saw that he's up to like top 5 dynasty running back top 6 but t higgins before joe burrow got hurt uh bob henry was ranking him as like a top 10 redraft wide receiver and if you've got a guy who's 21 years old drafted highly and is already considered a top ten wide receiver. Like the dude should be way, 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 way high in dynasty rankings. So I usually try to diversify. I'm only in two dynasty leagues at the moment, and I try to diversify across my rosters. Um, but T. Higgins is the only guy I own in both of my leagues just because he was so mispriced a couple months ago, and I don't think it's really caught up. So I'll say T. Higgins is a good value buy at his current price, just because he's so young and he's he's immediately productive. He's kind of like a a off-brand C.D. Lamb, where his profile is actually very, very close to C.D. Lamb, but I don't think his cost is anywhere near as close. Uh, Best hot sauce is Frank's. Speaking of Buffalo Wings, uh, what else we got up here? How do you project players who may seem to be such tremendous outliers, like James Robinson starting week one as a rookie UDFA? Um, do you just call them high variants and be done with it? Or is there something different about your process there? Uh, so, this is, I, I like this question a lot. Um, a lot of it, I don't always necessarily think of myself as a fantasy guy first and foremost. I think of myself, um, Pretty equally as much as a as an NFL history guy, um, it's just that you know, fantasy pays and NFL history does not. But the NFL has been around for over a hundred years, and so there's actually a pretty good pool, like a, a reference pool of of player comps that you can dig into if you really dig into it. So there are not very many true unicorns, um, and usually I can I can try to find some sort of comp for like, you know, a low drafted guy who wound up doing great year one, like a Philip Lindsay uh, Robinson's an interesting one because um, he really is kind of a unicorn. There's really not a great comp. I mean, the closest comp probably is Philip Lindsay and Robinson's in a completely different class than Lindsay in terms of a guy who was starting and just on fire and and dominating from week one. Um, I really like when when I'm in an entirely uncharted territory, I like to look for um, kind of ports in the storm, kind of indicators that I can latch onto. And one thing I really like is workload as an indicator of, of coaching preference because coaches won't straight up tell you what they think about players, but they'll let you know by how they're using players. And the fact that Robinson just got an insane, insane, insane workload tells me that the staff really likes him. Um, normally I would be worried about an undrafted free agent, uh, them bringing in a lot of competition in year two. And of course that risk exists. If, if he were a first round pick, I would not be worried about it to the same extent. Um, but I do think Robinson's probably a little bit underrated in dynasty just because people are a a little too scared off by that undrafted free agent thing. And they're not they're not. I don't think giving enough credit to just how incredible that workload was, and and he played really really well with it too. Um. So let's see. Up next, yeah. Rookie process doesn't begin until after the NFL draft. Uh, my process. I don't scout college players. Um. I wrote years and years back. Um. I'm largely just going off of NFL draft position, and. The reason I'm mostly doing that is because there's a lot of research that, like, NFL GMs, NFL scouts cannot perform the NFL draft. There's no team who has consistently, over a long time period, gotten better than expected returns out of its NFL draft picks. Uh, And if these teams that are spending millions and millions and millions of dollars can't consistently beat the draft, I certainly don't think I can beat the draft. So I'm largely going by draft position and by historical production. So for instance, um, you know, if Lawrence goes number one overall, I can look back and I can say quarterbacks who are drafted at the number one overall pick typically have this much fantasy value. Um, and I do tend to think quarterbacks taken number one overall tend to be a little bit underrated in dynasty rookie drafts as an aside, just because um, the hits are just so valuable. You look at your Cam Newtons and your Peyton Mannings. Um, it's it's a low percentage play, but the value when it does hit is so high um, but anyway, I can look at Trevor Lawrence and I can look back at historical number one picks and I can make kind of an informed guess about what Trevor Lawrence will be worth uh i There is a little bit of secret sauce in terms of the n f l cares about things that i don't care about as a fantasy owner, and I care about things that the n f l doesn't care about um, typically. Like, sometimes guys will go in the second round based on their return contributions, if they're a dynamic returner. Um, unless I'm in a return league, I don't care about that. I'll downgrade those guys on my board. Um, sometimes tight ends will go higher because they're great at blocking. I downgrade blocking tight ends. I don't care. Sometimes tight ends will go later because they're horrible at blocking, and I upgrade the heck out of those guys because every snap he's blocking is a snap he's not out and around. Um, I, I had a lot of Jordan Reed when he came out um, just because I love horrible blocking tight ends that go in the third and fourth round. Um, so uh, strengths and weaknesses. Uh, overall, I think that I tend to do pretty well. I, I probably do about average. I don't think I'm the greatest drafter ever, but I don't think I'm the worst drafter ever. And I don't really see an easy way to improve um, on my position, probably a little bit better than average, just because I'm getting a lot of, um i think later round steals just by betting on highly drafted players uh the biggest strength is it's super easy and it does not take a lot of time and effort on my part and i can then spend that time and effort on other things uh where i think there will be a much higher return on my investment uh same three questions what are three plant your flag rookies and plant your fat flag debut players I, I mean i kind of just got into that i don't I haven't watched I think the last college football game I watched was um Florida's last national championship. Um, and I'm trying to think I don't think I've seen any since then so yeah i don't I don't really have thoughts on college football i I am on Twitter, I follow some accounts that do have thoughts, and I could really parrot their views back. you know, I hear great things about this Trevor Lawrence kid. Uh, spoilers. But um, I think there's some risk in that where, where you're passing on things that you've heard because, I mean, like if you're following me and you're following Matt Waldman and Matt Waldman says, oh, I love this player. And then I say, well, you know, I really trust Matt Waldman. So then I say, oh, I love this player. And you're following both of us and you see, wow, Matt Waldman loves this player and Adam Harstad loves this player. This guy must be a lock um when in reality what happens is Matt Waldman loves that player and then I'm just parroting that back so i think if you're passing off other people's work if it, it's really good to follow people's work and put put faith in other people's work but i'm not really going to pass along other people's work so much because i think it gives a false sense of consensus sometimes uh so i'm going to be more where like if i don't know if i don't have an opinion i'm just i i really work hard and try to be like i don't know i i'm not really the guy to be asking that one um but i do appreciate you asking so that i could go off on that tangent are there any underperforming second rounders from last year that you're targeting moss Vaughn, edwards um van jefferson um of those guys i kind of like moss i kind of like edwards because of all the hype Uh, i was never really in on jefferson um I don't know if you would count Pittman as underperforming and or a second rounder, because sometimes he was, I think, sneaking into the first, but Pittman would probably be my favorite there. Um, Any guy who was was drafted really high in the NFL draft, anybody who was like a top 50 pick who finds himself on that underperforming list, I really, really love betting on those guys and getting them at a discount. I think Ronald Jones would be the quintessential example here where I was pretty big on him last off season, just because I'm like, look, I've seen him. Um, I get that like, he was really, really bad his rookie year. I thought he was actually kind of good his second year. And I tweeted a lot that like, I'm surprised that this is the same Ronald Jones because he looked a lot better, but I get why we don't like Ronald Jones, but also like, I think there's a really good chance that we're wrong. Um, We're probably not wrong, but there's, there's a very non-trivial chance that we're wrong. So I like to bet on those kinds of guys. What do Dynasty owners spend far too much time doing on a week-to-week basis? Um, I'm assuming you're asking from, like, a maximizing wins perspective. Because, um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm big on we play fantasy football because it's fun. So if you have fun on something, that's awesome. You know, I don't know if I devoted... Thirty hours a week to scouting college players. I still don't think I could outperform the NFL draft. But if I really liked doing it, that's I think a great use of thirty hours a week for me. But in terms of maximizing wins, uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that that's just pretty close to zero expected value. I, the agonizing over lineups, um, you know, I think just set it and go. Uh, pick a ranking source that you trust. Come up with a very simple process and just kind of roll with that. Um, I think, I'll flip that around, I think what people spend far too little time doing, not necessarily on a week-to-week basis, this is more on a month-to-month basis, is really scouting their own teams and getting a really good feel for, um, you know, like exactly what's their competitive window, like exactly what, I think everybody should be able to answer what are the chances I win a title this year? Um, and and a, a pretty precise answer. You know, if you're if if you have a perfectly average team in a league where all the teams are perfectly average and it's twelve team league, you have an eight point three percent chance at a title. Um, what are your chances? Twelve percent. You know, you're a bit better than average. Fifteen percent. You're a great team. You know, maybe you're you've almost locked up that first round by. You're up to twenty five or thirty percent. But I think that's probably the most important question. And if you're going to be spending time, probably getting an answer to that question will inform all of the moves you're going to be making, how you're going to be building your team, even what kind of teams you're going to be approaching and talking about trading with. So that's, I would probably spend less time setting my lineup and more time, you know, scouting myself. I do, I do, I have a spreadsheet. Um, and I can actually, I'll find a link to it. I, I made it publicly available. It's on Google Sheets. And I—I um, I, every month when new ADP comes out, I update it. And it basically just scouts my team and says where um, I'm strongest and where I'm weakest. And um, it also has, I put in the redraft rankings and it compares average redraft ranking to average dynasty ranking and it'll say, You know, this is a win now piece. This is a build for the future piece. Um, So that's probably something I think people should do more. Uh, Copy link. And I will just drop that in the chat right now. Mm. Next up. Tell us rookies to target in rounds three or four. Uh, I can't tell you specific rookies to target in rounds three or four, but uh, usually at that point, I'm just grabbing whoever is, um, whoever was drafted highest in the NFL draft. And usually, there's a guy who was like drafted in the third round who slips, and I know absolutely nothing about him. You know, like I, I don't know any, but I grab him just because he's the highest guy left, um, and I get a surprisingly large number of hits that way. Um, Not usually not like mega mega hits, but like I got Chris Herndon at 5.12 in a tight end super premium um, just because, you know, he was like the highest drafted tight end left on the board. So I'm just like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll just whatever. I don't even know who that is, but bet on draft position. And the cool thing about draft position, there's there's two advantages. One, players drafted higher tend to be better. And two, even if they aren't better, uh, there's sunk cost fallacies. So the coaching staff is going to give them a lot more reps and a lot more chances to prove whether they're NFL caliber or not. So that's usually the bets I'm making there. Uh, philosophies on optimal bench construction, looking for upside plug-and-plays. Yeah, if... Uh, uh, i like to evaluate like what's what are the odds that this guy is going to see my starting lineup at any point during the year um and if the odds are low i don't want any age on my bench at all i mean just toast them unless it's it's super deep like i have a i have a super deep dynasty league where i carried philip rivers as my quarterback three behind um mahomes and watson and it's like, the, there's 0% chance I'm starting Rivers. There's a good chance he retires after the year. He's just older than Dirt. But I carried him anyway, partly because it's a, quarterbacks are very valuable in that league and I didn't want to throw him out to somebody else to get for free. But usually I'm trying to move um, any age off of my bench uh, with prejudice. Uh, I like to trade him for picks because picks don't take up a roster spot. So that's kind of a two for one. Um, you get the future pick. And you also get the next, you know, if you trade it in September, you get the next three or four months to burn through that extra roster spot looking for value on waivers. Um, in terms of positional mix, I I don't know. Uh, to some extent, like, definitely you should not spend a bunch of spots on the singlet positions. You know, if you're starting three wide receivers, two running backs – and you're, you've got a flex that's typically coming from there. You want more running backs and more wide receivers. You want more cracks at that. But it kind of depends on the league. Um, if I find that tight ends are consistently undervalued, I, I often find myself rostering like five tight ends. And I'm like, ah, I don't really need these. I can't really do anything with these. But uh, it's just they're, they're, I think, such a better bet in that particular league that sometimes I will, I'll, go with some theoretically Mm. suboptimal bench makeup in order to to maximize, I think, the expected value. Um, And as it occurs to me, actually, I think I wrote an article on this bench. Let me see. I'm going to do a quick search and see if I can find and drop it in. I did. And I did. And there's a link there. Uh where am I at? Do we who do we have to talk to in order to fix the fumble out of the end zone rule? I don't know, man. I would love to know. I just hate that rule. I I hate it. I hate it from an aesthetic standpoint because there's a rule on the books for what you do with fumbles that go forward and out of bounds. And any fumble. Out of the end zone is by definition a fumble that went forward out of bounds. So it's a it's a completely superfluous rule. It doesn't need to be there. And just from a, an aesthetic standpoint, I am for more elegant rule sets. And I don't know. I'm, I'm I I kind of don't want to launch into the whole thing, but I hate that rule. That's that's the dumbest rule. Dumbest, dumbest, dumbest rule. You often talk about how your team heuristics instead of team. Analytics, uh, actually, instead of team projections, what's a good example of how these approaches diverge? All right, I love this question. And this is, um, I think, really cuts to the core of my approach. So, the team projections is basically saying what's going to happen. You know, um, for instance, James Robinson, how do you value James Robinson? What do I expect James Robinson to do next year? What percent chance are they going to bring in? You know, a first, second, third round running back to compete with him. You, uh, what? How is is the offense going to be better or worse with Trevor Lawrence? These are questions that you try and find an answer to. You're projecting an answer, and um, depending on how rigorous you get, you can get. I mean, some people will be very precise, and they say, "I think, you know, Robinson's going to average 1250 yards a year for the next three seasons." And some people are a little bit looser with it. They might not have the formal process, but that's still what they're trying to get at is, do I think Robinson will be productive? Do I think it will not be productive? He will not be productive. Heuristics, for those who don't know are there. it's just a fancy word for a rule of thumb. And so one heuristic I use is um, in the rookie draft, you know, like draft for talent, trade for need. If I'm on the clock and I've got, you know, if I have Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and I'm on the clock in my rookie draft, and my opinion the best player available is is trevor lawrence i'll take trevor lawrence because the point of the draft is to put as many good players on your roster as possible and then if you're right you can trade those good players later for for players you actually need so that's a heuristic it's a rule of thumb i'm not specifically saying like oh i think trevor lawrence is going to get you know 4700 yards this year it's not about that it's about um just just rules, guidelines for how to build a successful roster. So when I look at James Robinson, I'm not saying how good do I think James Robinson will be? What percent chance will they bring in competition? You know, how likely is he to hold off the competition? Because these are team projections questions. These are, these are if you're trying to project the future, these are questions you should ask. Uh, a team heuristics question might be more, do I think James Robinson is good? Because... In the end, things tend to work out with good players. You know, if if given a long enough timeline, good players tend to get theirs. And so I'm more asking, I'm less asking what's gonna happen to Robinson, and I'm more asking, how good do I think Robinson is? And how willing am I to bet on him being that good and and then given over a long enough timeline, he's gonna get his. Um, so sometimes it, it often leads to the same place. I mean, I can compare my rankings to somebody who's I'm um, very big on team projections. Like Chad Parson of Under the Helmet um, uses a very projections-heavy approach. And our our rankings and our, our, our um, beliefs tend to be pretty similar. Um, we're just coming at it from a different direction. Uh, I always say that one of the reasons I really like heuristics is because I'm super, super, super lazy, and they are a lot quicker and easier. Um, and another reason I like them is because most people aren't using them, so it can it makes me sound all smart and deep when I start talking about them. What is your general strategy when it comes to age 1st production, and how different does it diverge by position? Uh, so I linked a spreadsheet just a little bit ago about how, evaluating your roster. On the first page of that spreadsheet, I have my estimated years remaining calculations uh, based on historical aging patterns at all the different positions, and you can look up like, you know, if you're a 22-year-old quarterback, you are expected to have this many years remaining. I'll add the caveats that it's for um, players who are who are actually pretty good. Uh, the benchmark I like to use is guys who are good enough to earn a second contract to be a starter in the NFL. So Matt Breida got a second contract, but it wasn't to be a clear starter. The estimated years remaining are probably not for a guy like Matt Breida, um, someone like um, Austin Hooper would definitely be a great, great fit for the estimated year's remaining formulas. Um, so that'll show how I think it. Uh, the different positions age. Uh, speaking of heuristics, rules of thumb, uh, one quick rule of thumb is, is a running back should last as long as a comparably, comparably good wide receiver who's about two and a half years older. So if you have a 24-year-old running back and a 26-year-old wide receiver, I'd bet on the receiver lasting longer. You have a 24-year-old running back and a 27-year-old receiver. I'd bet on the running back lasting longer, um, but mostly it's just it's it's like the Ty Hilton question, where you know you're going to be wrong. You know, you make a bet based on the information you have available, and you know there's two possibilities with Ty Hilton. He gives you four more years of great production. He gives you zero more years of great production. Um, you know, he could give you anywhere between one, two or three years of great production, but you just kind of make the best educated guess that you can, given the information you have at the time. And you accept that some of them are going to be wrong. And sometimes the dude's going to retire on your bench, giving you absolutely nothing. And that's just the cost of doing business. In your experience, is there any method to finding waiver wire hits such as Robinson, Tanyan, and Waller? Yes. Uh, follow at seven rounds in April on Twitter. That's uh, a guy named Rob Pitzer. He did his master's practicum on how to beat the NFL draft using uh, combine measurements as inputs. Um, and he got his statistics professors, you know, I guess looked over it and passed it and said, like, yes, we do think this outperforms the NFL draft. His model was huge, huge, huge on Tanyan and Waller. Um, I don't think it really had an opinion on Robinson, uh, just cause I don't know if he ran it that deep. Um, but so he's my secret weapon. Um, I guess it's not much of a secret anymore. Uh, it never really was a secret, but I, I'll shout his praises every chance I get. He's really good. Otherwise, um, I like to bet on guys who are drafted high just cause they're going to get more chances. Um, Churn a lot would be a big secret. Uh, I, I like there's a concept I like called urgency, which is how quickly are we going to get new information on a guy? Um, you know, if a guy gets elevated to the starting position, add him immediately because we're going to get a lot of new information just this week. Um, and most of those guys are going to suck, but if you can find out they suck in two weeks, you can you can take a chance on someone else. And so that one roster spot can let you evaluate five or six players during their, during their critical window. Um, so I do like to prioritize guys where we're going to be getting a lot of new information in a hurry. Um, someone like Royce Freeman might eventually be good, but I'm not going to hold him for two years to find out when I, could, when I could use that spot to hold so many more people. Um, what, do you have any strategies for pushing partners who are still teetering on trade offers to hit the accept button? Long term, I really like to build a reputation as a guy who's looking out for your interests as well as my own. And the best way to do that is to look out for their interests as well as my own. Um, people know I play I've played in the same leagues for over a decade. People know me. They know I'm not looking to screw them. They know that I'm trying to look for something that's going to work for both of us. And yeah, sometimes like things are gonna things that look fair ahead of time are gonna look atrocious in hindsight um but that works against me as well as it works against them uh so once you have that reputation i think people are more willing to take the plunge with me um other than that i talk to people a lot um in their preferred medium i'll do email i'll do twitter dms um i'll do i'll call them on the phone i talk to people i i try to make a good faith effort to find out like what are you looking for what are you worried about um, here's what I'm looking for here's what I'm worried about here's here's what I can do here's what I can't do uh, and sometimes just being willing to walk away you know there are a lot of deals that are a no and you walk away and two days later they're a yes um, and I'd rather walk away and sometimes they'll become a yes and sometimes they won't than just keep throwing pieces on the table because um, you can only do that so much time you know you're just hemorrhaging value when you do that and and the goal in- in the long run is not to hemorrhage value, it's to add more value than you give up. Um, so a uh, walk away would be my big thing. And, and, and really mean it where like, if they don't come back, like that's okay, I'm just gonna walk at this price. What research questions am I thinking about this off season? I'm planning on doing a lot on player aging and breakouts. Um, I've got a big data set of every fantasy relevant season back to 1985 and I play around with it from time to time, and I try to look for patterns in it. That's why those the estimated years remaining stuff that I mentioned, that's where that comes from. Um, and so I'm going to be digging back into that and, and looking for more insight just because it's been a while and because we've got some new data added to it. Uh, hmm. How do you adjust your valuations of wide receivers heading into free agency and once they've signed with another team as a free agent? So I say this a lot. I think... The key to succeeding in dynasty is understanding risk and pricing it better than your competitors. Um, and I really started hammering this when Justin Blackman and Josh Gordon were playing phenomenal. And you know, Blackman was—he very briefly he was like a top twelve startup pick range. And I said, like, look, this is too high for a dude with the substance issues that we know he has. So I'm out on Blackman, but I'm still in on Gordon because he's cheaper. You know, he's in like the third round range and I'll take that risk there. But if he creeps up, I'm out on him again. And then a couple, like a month or two later, Gordon crept up. He had that huge season. And I said, all right, I'm out on him again. And I get that it's possible he'll stay clean. I mean, that's the hard part about risk is it's it's not. There's two possible outcomes and one is, you know, one's worth a million dollars and one's worth $0, you know, if if you have that coin flip, you're going to flip a coin and either get a million dollars or $0, you should be willing to pay a half million dollars for that coin flip. And what's going to happen is either you pay a half million dollars and you get a million dollars, and like, that's an insane bargain. Or you pay a half million dollars and you get nothing, and that's a huge ripoff. The, the thing about a half million dollars, the fair price for that coin flip, is it's not actually close to either outcome of the coin flip. You know, like no matter what, if you pay a half million dollars on that bet, you're going to be wrong by a half million dollars. But that's still that's still the right bet to be making. You know, if you're if you're pricing risks appropriately, the the proper outcome is you should be wrong about everybody. But the goal is not to be right about people. It's not to get everything on the nose. It's to be closer than everybody else. Um, so. For wide receivers heading into free agency, I, I like to, I, I try to estimate like where are they going to be landing? What chances do I think they're going to be landing there? And price them according to that. And then once they've signed with another team, um, I can adjust partly based on how good I think the landing spot is and mostly based on um, how much money they get paid, which gets back to the whole I don't think I can outscout the NFL. So if the NFL, says that a dude's worth however much money i'm, I'm going to take their word for it i do keep a spreadsheet of uh, wide receivers who sign in free agency of their deal as a percentage of the cap at the time of their signing and um most wide receiver deals they follow a pattern you know like the top guys will get about 9% of the cap at the time of signing. If you're a super-duper star, you might get 9.5%. If you're in that next tier, you might get 8.5%, whatever. But if you look at the, their, their deal as a percentage of the cap, you can tell, okay, the NFL thinks this guy is DeAndre Hopkins, or, okay, the NFL thinks this guy is Randall Cobb. Um, so that's one I do. I go a lot based on on what they sign for talk about some of my general dynasty processes and theories uh i think i've gotten some there I, you want to price risk um it's not about being correct it's just about being less wrong than everyone else um i mentioned i'm lazy i think that's actually one of my biggest advantages because um, i'm not going to do stuff i don't have to do and i think a lot of this, the places people go wrong is they try to do things that that they don't have to do and and you're just introducing possibility for error. So yeah, I try to do, I uh, I try to cheat off of other people's homework as much as possible, whether that's the NFLs by using draft position, whether that's finding smart people, like I mentioned Rob Pitzer uh, at seven rounds in April and going off of his prospect model. Um, so cheat as much as possible. I use a lot of historical comparable players which again is just me cheating off of history we've got 100 years of nfl history to go off of um so the less work i can do personally the better that is for me hottest take i have for the 2021 season i not really a hot take kind of guy you know since i'm all about pricing risk i tend to be split the middle on everything um let me think if i have a hot take i let's go hot take tom brady is going to be bad i mean i don't know what bad means i don't think tom brady will be considered a top 10 nfl quarterback next year and that's really just me betting on age um i think how aging tends to work is i've i've likened it to a coin flip where before the season you flip a coin and if it comes up heads you're going to be completely fine. Just continue on exactly as you've been. And if it comes up tails, you're going to suffer some sort of dramatic decline. Um, and the older you get, the more and more and more that coin gets weighted towards tails. And I think at this point, I don't think Tom Brady's really shown any signs that suggest he's going to fall off a cliff, but I don't think anybody really does. It's just at this point, his tail is pretty heavily weighted. His coin is pretty heavily weighted towards tails. Mm have some Twitter threads I really like, but one I'd love for you to touch on is young wide receivers are a great place to park value and the safety of veterans. I believe that's the thread, but I think it might be two. Yeah, let me go ahead and paste that thread into the chat uh, for people who might not have read it. Um... pull it up yeah that's the one right there um so basically the idea is that i don't really know how anybody's going to do in any given season um i don't think i can outperform the redraft projectors i i can't tell you you know like if the redraft projectors think that adam thielen's gonna get 1200 yards and jerry judy's gonna get Six hundred yards. I'm not one to say that they're wrong. They're they're probably pretty right about that. Um, but I can, yeah. Predicting how people do is really really hard. But an easy thing to predict is where will a guy be ranked if he plays how the redraft projectors think he's going to play. Um, and we've got a whole bunch of evidence on that that says if Adam Thielen gets 1,200 yards next year, his ADP is going to go down by like two rounds. Um, And we see it with any wide receiver on the wrong side of 30. Like they basically need like 1600 yards to maintain ADP for another year. It it never happens. And so if I'm counting on Adam Thielen as a starter, that's totally fine. It's not a bad thing if a guy goes down in ADP because basically what I'm doing is I'm trading that future value for points in my lineup, which is the goal. You need those points in your lineup eventually if you ever want to win anything. But if Adam Thielen's on my bench, I mentioned I had a team that had like seven great wide receivers and Adam Thielen really probably wasn't in my starting rotation. Well, then the fact that he's almost guaranteed to lose at least three rounds of ADP, that's a bad thing. I, if I hold him for a year, he's just bleeding value everywhere. Um, counterpoint to him I used was Jerry Judy. I don't i don't really have an opinion on Jerry Judy as a player. I don't watch college football. I don't know anything of, about him other than that he's, you know, well-liked rookie receiver prospect who went around pick 20 in the NFL draft. Um, But I do know that pretty much regardless of what Jerry Judy does his rookie year, his ADP is not going to go down. Um, It's possible it'll go down maybe around tops, but for the most part that ADP is going to be higher in year two than it is in year one, uh, which I think is actually an inefficiency in the market. That should not be happening. Um, in an efficient market, a guy having a bad season should, should tank their ADP, and it really doesn't, which suggests they're either being rank, ranked too high in the first place, uh, or too low in the first place, or they're being ranked too high in year two. Anyway, I really like to get rookie wide receivers deep on my bench because they're pretty low risk um, in terms of even if they're bad, I can probably sell them a year from now for about what I paid to get them and so they almost function as a currency but then the dangerous part there is you actually need to sell them um jerry judy's not going to lose any value in year one if he has a bad year in year two he's going to lose a lot of value that that safety net is gone um but i i like i follow um dynasty league football's monthly adp a lot for things like that there's some there's some pretty clear and obvious and um just repetitive trends that you see over and over and if you're aware of them you can kind of take advantage of them to to park safety park value in in a pretty low risk environment what is your favorite time of the year for dynasty off season combine rookie draft regular season playoffs i you know there's the whole like there's no off season in dynasty i am very big on the off season in dynasty i step away I mean, I'm reachable. I, I'll give everybody in my leagues my phone number. They have my email address. Anybody can reach me at any time. But I'm not messing with my roster a whole lot over the off season. Um, I, I pretty much step away. And that's nice. Uh, I like having the chance to, you know, decompress. Um, and I'll do some projects and stuff, too. That's, that's a good time for in-depth research projects, which are always fun. But I also like it's a good time to hang out with the family who hasn't really seen me for a few months. Um, kind of remind them that I exist. Uh, so I really like the off offseason, um, and I really like the regular season because I really like football, and that's when all the football is. Do you think you'll live-tweet your running back or quarterback rankings like you did with your wide receivers recently? Very possibly. Um, I used to... Um, I used to post rankings on Football Guys, and that just got to be a bit too much work with some of the other stuff I wanted to do. Um, just keeping them updated as much as they need to be updated. When you're posting them, you know when people are paying for your rankings, you gotta you gotta stay on top of them. When people are not paying for your rankings, I really like that because then I can kind of do what I want when I want. And there are some times when I'm like I. Really, what happened with the wide receivers is, is I was looking at guys and I'm like, I really don't know how I have these guys relative to one another. So I kind of did it as an exercise to clarify the values in my mind. I think there'll probably be some point when I do it with the running backs and the quarterbacks, but it's not really anything I schedule. Um, it's really just kind of when the mood strikes me um, and when I got the time, when I'm not kind of in the middle of a project or something, and it just happened to work out. How many leagues am I in and do I have a favorite format? I am in three leagues. I used to do that whole 15 leagues thing. And I, w- when I was honest with myself, I discovered that the more fantasy football I played, the more I hated fantasy football. I think if I ever go over five leagues, it's just not fun for me anymore. Um, I re- I say I'm a storyteller. I really like the story. I like the horse race to get into the playoffs And when I have that many leagues, I kind of lose the thread. Um, I'm not, I can't really follow along. The suspense is kind of gone. So I always keep it under five. Um, Right now I have two dynasty leagues. I've got my old friends and family league that I've been in. The dynasty has been around since 2007, but I've been playing with the same guys since 2002, since I started. They're the guys who got me in Um, because I was not a football fan when they invited me to play fantasy football um so i've been playing with them since 2002 and i have a league with them and then i do the football guys staff dynasty league and um i do a football guys staff redraft league in terms of favorite format i'm a sucker for weird rules because i think there's so much really good fantasy advice out there that's tailored to just standard um off the rack league settings start one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, a tight end, a flex PPR, whatever. But there's not that much really good advice out there for the weird stuff. So when you're in leagues with just bizarre rules, that's when you can tell who's actually doing the homework and who's just following the good advice that they read, which will will make you totally competitive in an off-the-shelf league. Um, so I like I my my dynasty has returners in it, which I love. Um, I've gotten a lot of advantage out of that, although um, punt and kickoff returns are going the way of the Dodo. that That's, that, that's not really a huge source of advantage anymore, uh, just because the leagues are trying to kill special teams. Um, my other dynasty league, for some reason, gives... And I don't know if this was just a mistake when the commissioner was setting up the scoring or what. I don't know why it does this, but it gives tight ends 1.5 points per reception, but it also gives them 1.5 points for every 10 yards. So it works out too. it's it's like 2.2 points per reception for tight ends on average. Um, and I love it because it's nuts. It's just insane. It, it makes no sense. Um, but like I flex a tight end every, every week. And that's nice because it's a nice advantage because the league kind of slept on tight ends and I was able to get a couple good ones for cheaper than they should be. Um, so my favorite format's anything weird because if you pay attention and do your homework, you can get some good values. And then other than that, I really like yardage heavy scoring. Because it tends to be, well, first of all, players score more points, and that's more fun. More points on the scoreboard, higher scoring games. And it tends to be a little bit more consistent and more predictable than than touchdown heavy scoring. So I do like one point for every five yards rushing and receiving, one point for every 10 yards passing. Um, and the other advantage is it's very sneakily, and this goes to, it's good to have off-the-shelf settings or not off the shelf settings, It it's very sneakily a quarterback heavy scoring system because quarterbacks get a disproportionate share of their production from yards. And so if you're paying attention, you know, like, hey, I should be valuing quarterbacks a little bit higher. And so in my old, old friends and family dynasty, I tend to have a quarterback heavier team. That's the one where I had Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and Phillip Rivers, and they just provide a really substantial advantage there. What should I do with once and Jimmy G in a rebuild? I took over, trade them away for picks for younger QB flyers? Um this is a really hard question because i I don't play a lot of Superflex, so I don't have great intuitions on what you could get for them in one quarterback leagues. i I question what you could get for them. i I think they're kind of at the point where, you're probably better off holding just because I don't think you can get anything that's worth moving. Um, I would prefer once and Jimmy G to Darnold for sure. Even if Darnold is younger, because at that, at that level, the bigger question is not how long can they play? It's, can they play? And I think there's more reason to believe that once and Jimmy G can play than there is that the Darnold could play. Um, Jameis would be an interesting one. Uh, I like the bold call of going Wentz or Garoppolo for for Winston. There's probably a higher chance that Wentz or Garoppolo are starting this year than there is that Winston is starting this year. But if you're rebuilding, it can be an advantage to take the guy who's not starting because then you'll suck more and you'll get a higher pick. And that's always a nice advantage. Um, I never advocate tanking, but if... In the course of your rebuild, your team gets worse in the process. In the short term, that's I'm always down with that. There are new people joining Dynasty every day, it seems. Not every league is a good league, and not every commish is a good commish. What would you tell someone new to Dynasty to look out for and use as requirements before joining Dynasty League? This is a really good question. Um, if at all possible, and I, I recognize, of course, that it's not at all possible. I would play with people I knew. Um, and had a relationship with first even if it's not you know even if I don't know the whole league if I know a guy in the league and he's willing to vouch for the league that would probably be the best and safest way to go Um, but I recognize that's not always possible especially if you're the first person you know to try Dynasty Uh, I would avoid leagues with trade vetoes Um, if it's me I would look for a commissioner i I think the best sign i could see from a commissioner is um a willingness to admit that like he doesn't have all the answers um in my constitution i specifically say like look this is a spirit of the law league it's not a letter of the law league here's the goal i'm trying to accomplish with these rules if there's a loophole in this rules that is contrary to that goal like don't do it i'm gonna come down on you I don't want to have to try and think of every single way everybody's going to abuse this system and anticipate it in advance. That's not how we're going to do this. I'm trying to make a league that's fun and competitive and a a level playing field for everyone. Um, And I would, of course, be drawn to any commissioner who, who was like that. I recognize that most commissioners probably aren't going to get into that level of detail. You know, people aren't really thinking about the theory of a fantasy league as much as I do. Um, and that's fine, but that would definitely be an encouraging sign. Um, if you don't know anybody who plays and you can't find a commissioner who's, who's upfront about the stuff that you care about, uh, just asking for references on Twitter. Um, there's a lot of, you know, Ryan McDowell, Scott Fish. I'm sure they can point you in the direction of leagues that maybe are not, like the greatest league ever made, but they're totally solid, serviceable leagues. They're not going to fold on you. They're not going to take your money and run. Um, Part of the key in Dynasty is you need to be able to trust that the league's going to be around in a couple years because, I mean, Dynasty requires a huge act of trust. I'm building for five years out, and it does me no good if the league doesn't exist five years out. Um, So that would probably be the number one thing to look for if you couldn't find the other stuff is just some sort of indicator that the league was going to be in for three or four or five more years. How do you approach trading your players? Specifically, do you use a trade block, reach out directly to owners, wait for owners to reach out to you? The biggest key I, I play. So our football guys staff league, I've heard complaints from a couple different owners that it is not an active league. Um, and I've heard that for years, people just complaining this is not an active league. And this year, I started a rebuild on there. Um, and um, so I'm like, okay, rebuilding's gonna be hard because I've been hearing for so long about how it's not an active league. And I made, I mean, I made like eleven trades. I own five first round picks in this upcoming draft. I almost got a sixth. Um, I traded with, I think, like six different owners. Like I, it was massively active for me, and I'm like I don't I don't understand how people think that this is not an active league, other than like people aren't posting trades every week. But everybody answered, everybody was willing to deal, and I, I think the key for me is I'm always looking to meet people where they are. Some people like to do that whole. Um, cat and mouse game where like i fire off a bad offer to you and then you reject encounter and then i reject encounter and then you reject encounter and we finally get to a place that's good for both of us and i think those are the guys who are complaining that it wasn't an active league because they're sending bad offers and people are just rejecting without a counter and they're like oh nobody trades in this league and it's like no it's just people don't like trading that way um so i do a, i'll i'll do a lot of um talking with people and it helps that i play in leagues with people i mostly know um if i don't know you yet we're going to be friends pretty quick because i'm going to be reaching out and we're going to be talking um i'll meet on i've conducted trade discussions over twitter i've done it over email i've done it over um our football guys staff chat is Basecamp. i've done it over Basecamp. Uh, i've done it over the phone done it in person i'll do the the offer and counter offer game on mfl um, I'll meet anybody where they're at and i'll I'll try to you know establish a rapport and say like look here's what I'm looking for here's what I think you're looking for you know correct me if you're wrong because I don't want to be wasting your time um, and just try to find that common ground and I find if you're willing to put in the legwork and you're willing to meet people where they are there are not very many leagues that are not active you know you can get trades done anywhere if if you're willing to you know, do it in the manner that makes your trade partner most comfortable. What big changes to your process have you made over the last year that you're most excited, proud about? Um, Hmm. Well, I've revived, I used to do, so years and years ago, I did a a system for valuing dynasty players that's basically um, taking their redraft projections and spreading it out over the life of their expected career, using that estimated years remaining formula I've talked about a couple times. And it's a lot of work and I didn't really keep up with it. Um, and this year I've been working more on bringing it back, um, streamlining it, kind of working some of the kinks out of it. Um, so I mentioned I was doing that rebuild in the Football Guy Staff League and I just decided, you know, what the hell. I don't, I'm not positive that, I think that this system works pretty well. It's not really tested. I don't have like the years of data on it, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to go all in on it and we'll see what happens. Um, And that's been a lot of fun. Um, You know, I was talking about Ronald Jones and one of my things is young, highly drafted players should not be drafted higher in redraft than in dynasty. Ronald Jones is 23 years old. He was, I think, a second round NFL pick and he's going higher in redraft and dynasty. And stuff like that doesn't make sense. If the redrafters are right about him, the dynasty owners have him too low. And redraft is an easier game to solve. So it's more likely that the redrafters are right about him than it is that the dynasty guys are right about him. Um, So my process kind of puts numbers to that. And that's, I mentioned T Higgins as a buy low DeAndre Swift, um, although he's not low anymore, but my system was big on DeAndre Swift about a month before consensus, And that's probably the most exciting thing of the year for me is that keeping up with that, noticing how much I'm about a month ahead of consensus, where my system is like, you know, I love this guy. And then a month later, the guy's shooting, just rocketing up ADP, his market value is spiking through the roof. Uh, So that's probably the big, it's not really a change because I've done it before, but it's been so long since I've really worked on it um that's probably the thing from 2020 that i'm most excited and proud about Mm. and now we're back to the beginning of the night awesome Uh, uh how do you know if a team drafts a player because of their return ability um usually scouting reports will say i do the returner projections for football guys i'm one of Two guys on the internet that I know who does them. It's me and Mike Clay. Um, and yes, I recognize that it's super ironic that I do return projections, given that I'm team heuristics and not team projections. Um, but my process for doing projections are very heuristic based. Um, but so anyway, I usually know if a team drafts a guy because of his return ability, because I have to project them. And um, beat writers will usually mention something about, you know, this guy's. In competition for this, Um, sometimes you can go off of college stats, although a lot of times guys who are amazing returners in college aren't really looked at in that regard in the NFL. And sometimes you have guys um, who were not amazing returners in college who are very much looked at in that regard in the NFL. Uh, Percy Harvin comes to mind as a guy who Florida already had a great returner. And so Harvin never really played special teams, but then he came in and was immediately probably the best kickoff returner in the NFL for the Vikings, one offensive rookie of the year, and in large part based off of his special teams contribution, which voters always count as part of the offense. As a trend, do you find yourself more likely to react slowly to news performances, i.e. stick with your prior, or react quickly, move to take advantage of the shift? So this is a very, very, very important thing in Dynasty, is... The whole point of Bayesian updating, and I say I'm a Bayesian, is you have your prior, which is your your existing belief, and as new information comes in, you update that prior. And the key, the, the most important thing, is you should update relative to both the strength of your original prior and the strength of the new information. So, for instance, if we have a guy where there's a lot of information that he's really, really good, say Patrick Mahomes... And the new information I receive is my barber says he thinks that Mahomes guy looks like dog crap. Like, the quality of the new information is very, very, very low. The quality of the information feeding my prior is very, very, very high. So I'm going to laugh at my barber and completely ignore him, right? I'm not going to downgrade Patrick Mahomes because my barber doesn't like him. Um, Actually, I would because I cut my own hair. So if I didn't like him, I would downgrade him. But theoretically, if somebody else cut my hair, I would not downgrade Patrick Mahomes based on my Barber's opinion. Um, Most of the time, news reports like from beat writers, uh, I think people tend to overreact to more often than they underreact. Um, But one thing that I think people underreact to would be, I mentioned before, rest of season redraft projections. Um, I, I don't think people react quickly enough When the redraft guys are like, man, I think this guy's a top 10 guy the rest of the way. Stefan Diggs was a great example. The redraft guys have been saying since October that Diggs is a top 10 redraft wide receiver. And there was kind of a two-month lag before the Dynasty guys caught on to that um, where you could just get them at a discount because they just weren't reacting to what was happening on the field quickly enough. What is my favorite podcast, newsletter, content subscription outside of NFL or fantasy football? Um, I don't. Uh, I don't have a commute. I work from home, so I don't really do podcasts. And I sometimes I wish I had a commute because there's a lot of podcasts that seem interesting. I just never really get a chance to listen. Um. Yeah, I don't really have any good podcast, newsletter, or subscription recommendations. Um, I'm trying to think. I just, I don't have a whole lot there. Uh, I think maybe ask somebody more interesting than me. Uh, Electro Nick says, I love loved that last tangent. That was um, like 45 minutes ago, so I don't know what tangent that was, but thank you very much. I appreciate that um i'm a huge fan of your eyr work have you revisited that in terms of new retirees later lately do i think it would change anything materially i have not that's that's high on my to-do list for this offseason i don't think it would change anything materially um nfl careers despite contrary opinion have not actually been getting any longer um it looks like it because quarterbacks uh we've had a couple of really old quarterbacks recently, but every other position um like there were more thirty five year old wide receivers who produced well from two thousand to two thousand ten than there were from two thousand ten to two thousand and twenty uh defensive ends offensive tackles actually you had more old guys at those positions in the two thousands than in the two thousand tens um it's possible they could change it a little bit, but the sample was so big before, I'm not expecting big changes there. The big thing that I really want to revisit is the tight ends, because the nature of the position has changed so much. I kind of, at the time, just used a kludge where you know, I, I made a chart of how tight ends historically aged, and I made a chart of how wide receivers historically aged, and then I kind of just averaged the two and said, today's tight ends are kind of halfway between the old tight ends and the receivers. So I do kind of want to get a better answer to that. Uh, Pija says, you own John Ross. Explain. Uh, That's a very easy explanation, actually. First, I rostered him because he's a pending free agent. And in deep leagues, I love rostering pending free agents and hoping that they land somewhere. Uh, The class example here would be Emmanuel Sanders, where he was just crap in Pittsburgh, and he landed somewhere else and was immediately not crap. Um, And then... The bigger reason is my league has free injured reserve slots so he's not taking up a roster spot. Uh, so that's why I have John Ross. He's actually one of the few players I have on both of my teams. I think it might just be John Ross and T. Higgins, although I think I might have just cut one of my one of my John Rosses recently. Um, but it's just a cheap bet. he's free. Um, if I had to make room, he'd probably be the first to go, but since he doesn't cost a roster spot in two running back, three wide receiver, two flex leagues, what would your strategy be to build a dynasty? Focus on wide receivers, productive struggle with the running backs. Uh, Here, I got a piece for this. Um, uh, Five years back, I looked at career values, you know, like, are running backs more valuable than wide receivers in dynasty? Are wide receivers more valuable than running backs? Um, Beyond, like, the scarcity question and all that and i found here i'm posting the link right now i found that given two players of comparable quality um they both added about the same amount of fantasy value over their career regardless of position running back versus wide receivers and so what i mean by that is that um like let's say that i think marshall falk is as good of a running back as Randy Moss is of a wide receiver. And I do. I think they're they're pretty comparably good players. Um, if you look at it, and I have looked at it, Marshall Falk probably has very comparable career fantasy value to Randy Moss, and he does. Um, and you look at that, you can look up and down the list. I mean, you compare, like, Ricky Williams versus and Quan Bolden, or whatever. You find two guys who you think are equally good, and they probably had very comparably productive careers. So my strategy would be get the best players I can, or the guys who I think are the best, um, and I don't really focus on the individual position so much, at at least for running backs and wide receivers. Quarterbacks and tight ends are different, um, because they're singlet positions where you can only start one And so something like adding a PPR actually kills quarterback values because it makes running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends more productive relative to them. Um, But other than that, I'm mostly, you know, I'm team heuristics. I'm grabbing the guys who I think are most likely to still be contributing three or four or five years down the road, kind of regardless of position. And if I'm right, you know, I'll, I'll benefit from that kind of regardless of what my team needs are. Um, If you look at what dynasty team is the best in your league today, odds are pretty good. It's the guy who four years ago had the most players who are still in the league and producing today. I mean, if you look at their roster four years ago and they had, you know, like four wide receivers and two running backs and a quarterback who are still currently productive, they're probably doing pretty good today. So that's my thing. Is I'm just I'm trying to get the guys who will still be around. Um, Tyreek Hill is one point one one in January startup ADP. With his character concerns, would you be wanting to move him at his current value? Yeah, I've um, I don't have any Tyreek Hill anywhere. I'm not super opposed to him because I think that. Um, personal conduct policy you know regardless of what you think personally of the players in it if you're just talking solely about evaluating the risks um the thing that is the biggest risk is addiction um because you know that's the nature of addiction you can't count on somebody stopping what they were doing but something like beating up a woman I think plausibly it is easier for somebody to to not do that when there's millions of dollars on the line. It's absolutely important to note that like if Tyreek Hill punches a woman, he's out of the NFL. And he's got a history of, I mean, I think he choked his pregnant girlfriend. So like he's not above punching a woman. That's a risky run with Tyreek Hill. Um, I think it's probably more likely that Tyreek Hill goes five years without punching a woman than it is that Josh Gordon goes five years without you know, doing some sort of banned substance just because of the nature of addiction. Um, but if you're comparing Tyreek Hill to Devontae Adams or someone who doesn't have that risk, I'd rather have the guy who doesn't have that risk. I, I don't want to take on the added risk if I don't have to. And there's so many good wide receivers who have such amazing profiles right now pretty much pretty comparable to Tyree kills, that it's not really a risk I need to take on. You know, if we were talking about George Kittle or Travis Kelsey having character concerns, um, then it's one of those where, like, if you want this difference maker, you need to take that risk. But at wide receiver, there's just so many good wide receivers right now. I'm just, I'm not going to mess with it because I don't have to. Um, I'd rather go, I love A.J. Brown, you know, Stephon Diggs i think is one year older um and he's you know bawling the hell out so i probably would pass on tyree kill i like tyree kill i don't I, I don't want this to sound like a prediction that something's bad bad is going to happen that he's going to do something stupid or or felonious or whatever um Zeke Elliott has the same risk hanging over his head given a choice between Zeke Elliott and Alvin Kamara in years past I have preferred Kamara because yeah. I viewed them as essentially indistinguishable but one dude's not one bad decision away from a lifetime ban um so that's Tyreek Hill do you think some of the reasons rookies may hold that value that you called an inefficiency despite playing relatively poorly is that the market consciously or otherwise expects rookie wide receivers to perform poorly and systematically adjust their second-year value according to the opportunity cost of a deadweight roster spot for their first year. Um, No, I don't. Uh, in, In theory, yes, that would be a rational way to behave, but I don't think the pattern matches that. I mean, the big one to me is Nikhil Harry, who, like, he didn't... It's not that he was not that productive like he was bad he was game day inactive like every red flag a dude can throw out Nikhil harry threw out and his draft position basically didn't budge um you know even if you were not expecting Nikhil harry to get a thousand yards from scrimmage you were not expecting him to get like 200 yards as a rookie um so i think a lot of it is that and it's not every wide receiver gets that benefit of the doubt either. Somebody like a John Ross, who, who the fantasy community did not love coming in in the first place, their ADP will drop like a stone. Um, whereas Mike Williams or Corey Davis had relatively similar first and second years, and their dynasty ADP did not drop like a stone like John Ross's, um, despite being drafted in a similar range. Uh, so I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like this is a, a blanket rule um but it's just the pattern and I can't I, I can't really put numbers to it I, if I tried I probably could put numbers to it but the pattern doesn't read as you know rationally accounting for the deadweight roster spot for a year it it reads more as um, everybody gets a pass you know and then once your pass is used up then we're gonna start penalizing you and that's not really a rational mindset that that's overvaluing somebody shout out who you think is the best in football guys dynasty league um so a guy named andy hicks dominated 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 uh for a while and uh, daniel simpkins he's on twitter at x fantasy phoenix Um, he dominated, dominated now. Those have been the two most dominant teams. Um, It's hard to say, just because the samples are so small, if they are the best Dynasty players in the league, um, just because they got Mm -hmm. the best results. Because Dynasty is one of those things where, you know, you get two good moves and you're set up for four years. Um, But, yeah, I, I would not be shocked if they were the best dynasty players in the league because they've been straight murdering all of us um is twitter dynasty the best source for advice that depends on who you're following and who you are asking um social media is always going to be hard because the the people with the largest followings typically are the people who are the loudest and um most convinced that they are right or most able to convince others that they are right and i don't think being loud being convinced you're right or being able to convince others you are right necessarily correlate that strongly with actually being right so i think there's a selection problem um, where the accounts that are getting the attention are not necessarily the accounts that are doing the best work but i think most of the best work being done and, and the smartest people are on Twitter. It's just a, a question of, can you find them um, amid the noise? So I don't know that I think there is a best source for dynasty advice. And, and, and I think the whole framing of the best is kind of off here. It's not about getting the best source. It's about getting a good source. Um, you know, I think as an optimization problem, Getting good advice is easy. Getting the best advice is hard. And I don't know that the value difference between good advice and the best advice is big enough to warrant just that huge amount of extra time and resource expenditure um, to move from the good to the best. So I think Twitter is a totally credible quality source of dynasty advice. I, I know people who do Reddit for Dynasty Advice, um, people who subscribe to football guys, dynasty league football. I think there's a lot of good. Places to get dynasty advice, um, and and I think they're all pretty good. I, you can you can totally make hay um, using really anything if you have good processes in place and and you're being smart and intentional about it. Um, yeah, three plant your flag rookies and three plant your flag Devi prospects. Yeah, I I got nothing. Uh, I would love to answer this question in may really um and it's not going to be plant your flag but i'll tell you three guys who i think are undervalued just because you know like they were a top 10 nfl draft pick and they're going to the end of the the um first round rookie drafts or or like zach stacy um was sneaking into the first round of of dynasty rookie drafts despite going in the fifth round of the nfl draft and I was, I like, I felt like a crazy person. I'm like, why are we drafting a fifth round running back here when there's so many people who are drafted ahead of him? Um, so in May, I would love to answer that question if you want to hit me up then. What is the best thing I've bought recently in the last six months for under a hundred bucks? Good question, and I want to give a good answer. So I'm going to think about it for a second. Um, I'm really big into, um, I don't play a ton of board games, but I do play, I got really, really, really into, and I feel like this is kind of a cheating answer, but I got really into the Lord of the Rings card game. And I play that probably more than I do anything other than fantasy football. And the core set for that is like 30 or 40 bucks. And I say it's a cheating answer because if you get really into it, it is a lot more than $100 if you're going to buy into the whole thing. Um, but if you just want to dip your toes, and that's probably my favorite thing in the last five years that I bought for under a hundred bucks. Um, but it did not. Yeah, that purchase did not remain under a hundred bucks for very long. Uh, I mentioned that I enjoy leagues with different rule sets. What is your opinion of rewarding points per first down instead of the standard zero point five to zero to one PPR? Um, I like. From an aesthetic standpoint, I like points per first down because, from an offense's position, there are two things that a player can do to add value to their team, and that is get yards and get first downs. Those are the only two things that an offense cares about. Um, you could say touchdowns too, but touchdowns are actually just a special subset of first downs. So, you know, if you want to know who's good and who's actually contributing to their team, Getting 100 receptions does not contribute to your team. Getting 100 first downs contributes a ton to your team. Um, So from an aesthetic standpoint, if you want to reward the people who are doing good things, I really like per first down. I don't think it really makes a difference scoring-wise just because first downs correlate so strongly to receptions, which is one of the reasons we went to points per reception in the first place. Um, You know, there will be some guys, my favorite receiver, Um, here is Henry Ellard, who the dude is criminally underrated by history, just, just because we don't really care about first downs, but the dude was the biggest first down monster possibly in league history, you know, compared to his peers. Um, he's like 92% of his catches got a new set of downs, which is insane. Um, and you'd expect based on his yards per reception, that it would be closer to like 80 or 82%. The dude was nuts. Um, but guys like Henry Ellard are super, super rare. For the most part, the guys with the most first downs are going to be the guys with the most receptions. In terms of strategy and how it how it approaches, how it changes how I approach things, it's not going to have a big impact. Um, but from an aesthetic point standpoint, I like it. Uh, the one drawback would be it's a lot harder to calculate things by hand. Um, it makes things a lot less legible. Like if I'm following the games, if I'm following box scores, um, it doesn't always say that. Um. So I'm I'm mildly in favor, but I'm not really in any hurry to switch my own leagues over to that just because like I said, I'm lazy. What do I think of expected points added? And do I think they can provide a good framework for valuing for balancing the point values of different statistics? I really, really like expected points added as a measure of offensive output. Um, I don't like it as much as a measure of individual contributions. I think it can kind of work for the quarterback just because he controls so much of the passing game, but like I don't really love measuring running backs or wide receivers by e p a um because there's there's just so much selection bias there uh you know if a if a running back only carries on third and one his e p a per play is gonna be huge compared to a running back who's like the the third and long specialist um so I I like it as a descriptive stat as to, you know, like what football teams are doing and, and which teams are doing it well. I don't really like it as a fantasy stat. Uh I wanted to say thank you for doing this. I love your work. Thank you very much. I'm happy to come on and talk anytime. I, I tell people that like talking is easy. I'm happy to do that. Especially if like it's not especially important for me to be right or anything. I can I can talk pretty easily. Um And I like doing it. Uh, The fantasy advice industry is not a good place to find yourself if you don't like giving fantasy advice. Uh, But fortunately, I do. So I'm happy to be here. Shout out to Drew Austinchuk, who's done a lot of work with Startup ADP on rookie to sophomore years with wide receivers and knowing when to sell. I have not heard of him, but I will definitely check him out um, because that sounds up my alley. Was I onto Henry Ruggs last year purely on draft capital? I do. I did get um, one Henry Ruggs um, at the end of the first round in, in a rookie draft last year, um, largely because of the draft capital. Um, you know, I mentioned that fantasy owners care about different things than NFL teams, so a deep threat like Ruggs, I think adds more value from an NFL perspective based on his ability to dictate coverages and to either the saying is take the top off the defense. And rugs is the kind of guy who, even when he's not catching the football can add value to an offense. So I would expect him to be more valuable to an NFL team than he would be to, to a fantasy team. Um, so just because he was drafted higher than some of the other guys, I I would have taken, um, I think if given a choice, I would have taken Rieger and Jefferson over Ruggs despite the draft capital difference. But I would not have taken Pittman or Higgins over Ruggs based on the draft capital difference. So it's a sliding scale. Uh, But yeah, I did get Ruggs. Uh, Talk about Twitter being who's the loudest, my mind. Yeah, yeah everybody can come up with examples of people on Twitter saying hot take things. The hard thing for me is sometimes it's hard to distinguish in hindsight from like saying something controversial and just garden variety being wrong. I mean like a lot of things in hindsight look dumb that were not really that dumb at the time. Um, There's a, I think Niels Bohr said prediction is hard, especially about the future. So, um, but yeah, I, I get, I I follow, I think I'm at like 45 people on Twitter. Um, and a lot of it's just, there's people who I consider friends who I like and I interact with on a regular basis who I don't follow on Twitter, um, partly because I'm trying to keep my timeline super, super curated. Um, and I read every single tweet that crosses my timeline. I read every single mention that I get. Um, and so I, I don't really see a lot of hot takes on my timeline. I'm not really good at hot takes, um, but also I try to give the benefit of the doubt to people because a lot of hot takes are just things that... Uh, the process was was fine and it's just the outcome looks bad. I mean, I, I traded um, Chris Godwin for Sony Michelle in Dynasty. I traded Jordan Howard for DeAndre... I traded DeAndre Hopkins for Jordan Howard. Um, you know, I think the process was okay, given what we knew at the time. The outcome looks horrible. If you make enough trades, if you make enough predictions, it's gonna happen. When did I give up on Bryce Love? How scared are you of knee injuries? Um, I don't know if I was ever in on Bryce Love. I'm actually just checking my team real quick. I don't think I ever had Bryce Love anywhere. Um, Fourth-round running backs are meh. Uh, I'm not really um, super stoked about them. I'm not really avoiding them. I would never draft them in the first round of a rookie draft. But um, who was the who was the San Francisco running back uh, years ago who blew out his knee? I think he was from USC um some of the some of it's just a risk where I like buying injured players at a discount and there's a chance when you do that that they're not ever going to be anything that the injury is going to catch up to them but if you get a good enough discount that price is baked into the cost and if you do it enough times you're going to come out ahead Lattimore yeah that's what I was thinking of I was going to say Marshawn Lattimore and then I'm like no it's not Marshawn Lattimore but it's um what something yeah it's Lattimore um Marcus Latimer, thank you. Um, You know, sometimes you get like a David Wilson who, or or a Javid Best where like, yeah, that injury did cut their career short and if you bought in on them, you know, you're out, whatever, Uh, whatever you paid to get them. But if you're good at evaluating risk, in the long run you make a lot of those types of trades and you're gonna come out ahead on the net. so I I tend to have more injured guys on my roster than not. I mean, I, I got Adrian Peterson and Jamal Charles when they blew out their ACLs um, at a really nice discount, and I won a couple championships off of that. Um, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, when he um, blew out, I think it was an Achilles, and everybody's writing him off for done, I got him at a discount. Um, I was actually talking with Evan Silva about that, and I I, I'm, I told him, like, I'm usually the kind of guy who's going to bet on modern medicine. Um, you know, like, everybody talks about, like, nobody's ever done this before, but, but people underestimate consistently how good modern medicine is getting and how much it's improving. Um, and, and Evan Silva said, like, yeah, I'm with you. I get that. But, like, no, man, Emmanuel Sanders, there's no way he does anything for the Broncos this year. And he came back, like, week one. He was a week one starter, and he was great for the Broncos. Um, so it just goes to show you, everybody – under eights, modern medicine. I'm, I'm more willing to take on those risks with injured players. Give us a confession. Um, I don't know if this is supposed to be a fantasy related confession. Um, I got a confession. I'm not really sure I'm a good dynasty owner. You know, like if I'm Assigning percentages to it, I'm like 70% sure I'm a pretty good dynasty owner. It's just there's so much variance in it. I, it's hard for me to look at outcomes um, and really be all that confident in anything. But if, I, let's say, I'm 70% sure that I'm a good dynasty owner, like on anyone else, I'm maybe like 65% sure that they're a good dynasty owner. So I still listen to what you know the voices in my brain are telling me to do just because it's not like i'm sure anyone else is any good either i don't really know how much of a sample we would need to be able to conclude that anybody's good um but i don't think anybody i've met anybody who's met that sample so i don't i don't really know anyone who i'm that confident is that good at dynasty but i have a lot of fun so i do it anyway uh, you said at one point that you would trade an injured Saquon for CEH. Is CEH still in your Dynasty top 12 running backs? Um, I'm not sure I ever said that I would definitely trade Saquon for CEH. I said that it would be an interesting trade. Um, and I have, I have Saquon in one league, and the CEH owner in that league uh, was talking about whether he would. And I did not actually wind up making that deal um he didn't really he wasn't really ready to make that deal either um but it i thought that was a really interesting one because at the time ceh was predicted to be a top 10 redraft guy and that obviously did not come to pass um yeah i say redraft rankings are more of a science than than dynasty rankings but it's not like redraft rankings are that much of a science either uh i would probably still have Edwards Eler in my top 12 i would need to write out names just to make sure but a young first round nfl draft pick i think it'd be hard pressed not to have him there um i would not take him over saquon obviously um saquon i th- think would be back up to my number two now um Saquon or Jonathan Taylor would be my number two now. Probably Saquon. Speaking of San Fran, were you in on Ayuk this year and Brown last year? Uh, which Brown are we talking about here? Um, Marquise Brown. Okay, thank you. Oh, yeah, Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Yes. I was very in on Ayuk this year, and um, I was moderately in on Brown last year. Um, last year was kind of a target-rich environment. There were a lot of people who were falling, but Ayuk was a very, it was an active target of mine. Um, I try to diversify my two teams as much as possible. Um, I do not have overlap between them, but Ayuk for a while was, was one of um two or three players who i had on both of my teams because it was an active target partly because of the draft capital and partly because um rob pitzer seven rounds in april loved Ayuk. um he came into this year his four plant the flag players were um a um hang on who were they they were um Antonio Gibson, Brandon Ayuk, Chase Claypool, and um, Albert Kwegbunam, uh, the tight end for um, for the Broncos, who he liked just as a, as a free flyer later on. But his model loved those guys. So I put a lot of weight on what he says. I did get some pretty heavy exposure for me to Ayuk uh, at, a, at a good discount. Um, but this year was a pretty target-rich environment too. Um, so it was it was a good draft this last year. It, normally I'm pretty out once we hit the middle of the second round. There's just not that much I'm that into. Um but I I had a good time this year. There were a lot of guys who I really liked and wound up with. I've got a lot of young guys on my teams right now. Uh Hollywood, I was not I did not have a ton last year, but I did get one um share this year. Uh, and I like him um, as an underrated, like a post-hype buy for next year. Um, you know, he looked pretty good. It, the Baltimore passing game struggles early in the year were weird. I don't really have a great explanation for him, but part of being Team Heuristics is I don't need a good explanation for him because sometimes weird stuff happens, and I don't need to know why. Um, but I, I like him as a as a post-hype sleeper next year. I guess not sleeper, but a post-hype buy. What are my thoughts on Nietzsche and the place of his work in the pantheon of philosophy? Uh, First of all, I have to say that Nietzsche contributed the pull quote to one of my favorite video games of all time, Baldur's Gate, which opens with um, the whole if you stare into the pit, um, the pit looks back into you too. So that quote I've always loved because I love the video game. Uh, I got to say, I don't, I don't really have a lot of thoughts on Nietzsche other than like he is the philosopher that people quote when they want to sound deep, um, which isn't necessarily a knock on him or even the people who quote him. I just mentioned Aldersgate. Gate. I thought that was a great quote. Um, but yeah, I don't really have a lot of thoughts on um, on Nietzsche, uh, any type of confession, any type of confession. What's a good confession? Uh, yeah, here's a good one. Um, so I was right now. I am thirty six years old. I was probably about thirty years old, um, when I did not feel like a failure for the first time in like a decade of my life. I think until I was 30, I was convinced I was a failure just because growing up, I had this vision of what my life would be. And my life was not what I thought it would be. And, and I thought that meant I was a failure. And I think the great insight as I got older was that, um, I was actually in control of my life and I got to decide for myself what I wanted it to be. And so I, I chose what I wanted it to be. And I did that. And, um, you know, I've been so happy ever since. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, yeah, hey, I was happy to do it. Um, Yeah, I don't, I don't go for the, I don't go for the cheap stuff. I'm gonna, if you ask for a confession, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go all the way. Um, I think it's important to be open about stuff. I think a lot of Experience is much more universal than people would assume, just because everybody's too embarrassed or ashamed to admit to it. Um. Yeah. Thanks for for having me on. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Anytime you guys want to hit me up on Twitter or anything, I'm always around. Oh, is there anything I wished you would have asked or would like to plug? Um. Yeah, I write from Football Guys. I know I sound like a shill. Um, I really, I love Football Guys. I I was a subscriber there from 2002, my first year in fantasy, uh, up until actually I was a paid subscriber my first year on staff, because I had bought a three year subscription. And actually, I think my first and second year, I bought a three year subscription, and I still had years left on my subscription when I went on staff. So I was technically paying to subscribe to football guys even when I was still writing there. Um, I think they do great work, and I just love Joe Bryant, who runs the company. Um, you know, I love, I think he prioritizes the right things, and the right things aren't um, necessarily you know, the super competitive things, but I love how he's an ambassador for the industry and how he's a steward for the people who, who work for him. Uh, so yeah, I would plug football guys. That's where all my work is. I also really like that they do a paywall, but anything that's over a year old is out of the paywall, uh, which mostly only matters to me because everybody else on staff is writing about stuff that like matters. You know, like, hey, these guys will have good weeks, which is kind of the important stuff in fantasy. And I'm writing about stuff that doesn't matter, uh, which doesn't actually age. It matters just as little today as it did five years ago. So I've got like, you know, eight years of archives of dynasty articles. I linked to a couple of them here that were paywalled at one point and are not paywalled now, but they're still just as useful as they once were, which is often not very useful at all. Uh, So yeah, uh, check out Football Guys if you want to subscribe to a site. I really do think that, you know, there's some of the best guys in the industry. Um, And if you don't want to, that's totally fine too. A lot of my stuff will be out of the paywall in a year anyway, and you can check it out then. All right, Uh, yeah, thanks again for having me on. I'll um, stick around and channel for a little bit if anybody has some late questions they want to get in. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter. Um, Like I said, I try to answer all of my mentions. Um, Today, right as I started this, Scott Barrett decided to uh, drop the whole Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady debate on my timeline. So I was a little bit distracted right at the beginning which was very thoughtful. (laughs) Yeah, Scott is good. Scott is good people. What isn't selection bias? Uh, See, this is a trick question because I could give you a list of things of selection bias, but how would I come up with that list? It'd just be selection bias, so. You can't make a list of things that are not selection bias without selection bias. Everything is selection bias. It's shtick, but I like it as shtick because it's also true. It is. It is absolutely. Selection bias all the way down. that's so i do podcasts and the the best stuff always comes either right before the show or right after the show if you listen to podcasts with guests i guarantee you the best question always came not on the recording that's that's in my experience that's always true but my experience might just be selection bias Uh, he has not. I always just assume. It, go through life assuming you're everybody's hero until they uh, explicitly oh. tell you what they wise. Yeah, I can I can be a pedant if if I think it'll be fun. I I try to read the room on that. There're definitely at least sometimes where I'm like, "Eh, people don't care." And and there're times when I know that everybody's as into it as I am and I'll I'll play along then. Um, I I love the specifics and I'll get into the specifics, but at the same time I recognize that they largely don't matter. They are. It's it's very very low value, very low ROI. Um, but I will, all day long, get into technicalities and specifics, and I'll will actually people to death. Do you know if point distribution across positions is consistent enough year to year to plan for in dynasty? Uh, are you talking about like, you know, the number one running back scores two hundred fifty points, the number two running back scores two hundred forty, something like that? Kick it off. I'll do it. We got we got the encore going now. All right. So the question is, do I know if point distribution across positions is consistent enough year to year to plan for in Dynasty? Um, and specifically, you know, like the gap between tight end one and tight end 12, um, the gap between running back one and running back 12. Uh, I know very much that no. These are, not, these are not consistent enough to plan for. Um, NFL production tends to follow something called a power law distribution, which means, um, you know, like you think about the bell curve is shaped like a bell. Power law distribution is shaped like a, a ski slope, uh, where the best seasons, the better the season is, the more exponentially rare it becomes. Um, and so you'll get stuff like uh, Christian McCaffrey 2019 or marshall falk um 2000 uh and those seasons are just just way 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 out on the tail uh tomlinson 2006 um and you can't plan for when those are you you never know travis kelsey this year is a great example um but even beyond that you get a lot of so I, i track historical fantasy value and i try to look at it from a descriptive standpoint Uh, You know, like, what was the actual true production over a waiver wire replacement? And my waiver wire replacement level's pretty deep down. I mean, we're, like, quarterback 20 sometimes, or, um, you know, like, wide receiver 50 or something. It it gets pretty technical how I get my baselines. But the replacement level can bounce um, by, like, a point and a half year to year it can go from like 8.5 one year to like 9.7 the next year Mm -hmm. down to 7.8 the next um it's not it's not consistent and you can't count on it uh on a year-to-year basis over a long enough timeline um if Mm -hmm. you can smooth out those averages over a couple of years, it tends to be a little bit more consistent and predictable, but on a year-to year basis, it's it's just all over the place. Um, um, see any other any other encore question? Uh, we have somebody' sharing some uh, musical theater. I was a theater major in college for like 18 minutes. That's a true story. Um, Not necessarily musical theater so much, although I did play Prince Dauntless in the high school production of Once Upon a Mattress. Um, But that didn't last um, because I didn't really have any talent, which I discovered was a bit of an impediment to a career in theater. But it was fun and I loved it. Uh, let see what else we got here. Bryce says, geez, now I have to stay up. You don't have to. It's like punting on fourth down. It's strictly optional. You can choose to do it, but nobody forces teams to punt on fourth down. Looking forward to the dulcet tones of Adam Harstad answering questions from you oddballs. I don't know that I have been described as dulcet before, but I do like it. What do you think the value that a tight end would need to provide to make sense taking them in the top six of skill positions in rookie drafts? I'm assuming this is a Kyle Pitts question. Um, So I tend to be much more sympathetic to tight ends in Dynasty, I think, than the consensus. Uh, I remember 2013, I believe it was, um, the DeAndre Hopkins year, there was like a mm-hmm. clear top eight. Um, and Tyler Eifert was in there, and I tended to be pretty pro Eifert. And that was partly because of the lack of true top end talents that year, top end prospects. I mean, obviously, we had a top-end talent in Hopkins, but we didn't know that at the time. Fantasy would be a lot easier if we did. Um, but I tended to be high on Eifert. Um, I like. Um, I mentioned I'm in a in a super super premium league that just gives insane bonuses to tight ends, and I was looking at guys like um, even like uh, Dustin Keller or Eric Ebron or uh, Kellen Winslow Jr if you get enough tight end bonuses, like those dudes will score like Andre Johnson. Um, So I've I've drafted Ebron really high. I've drafted Eifert really high. Um, I invested a lot in later round flyers um, like Julius Thomas and um, Jordan Reed. And yes, I'm just mentioning the successes. There've been a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of failures in this approach too. Um, But I like my heuristic... In the rookie draft, is if I walk out with a guy and he's still contributing in five years, it was a good pick. Um, it might not have been the single most optimal pick, but I'm not going to be mad if I get a guy and and five years down the road he's still contributing to the team. Uh, I th- think there's a good chance, based on what I've heard about Pits, and and we'll see how the NFL draft shakes out, and we'll see how many. You know, top 50 running backs there are, top 10 wide receivers there are. But I think there's a good chance, after all is said and done, that Kyle Pitts will sneak into my top six. Um, sometimes I will get quarterbacks in my top six, and I think that's a harder case to make. But, you know, Tyler Murray, I don't know if he quite cracked my top six. I forget exactly where I had him. But, um, you know, I, I was spending first-round picks on Kyler Murray. Yeah, quarterbacks in one quarterback. Um, Obviously, in in two-quarterback or super flex leagues, of course they're worth top six picks. Um, The big reason not to spend first-round picks on quarterbacks is because you can get them in the second still. Um, There are some guys, you know, like Joe Burrow, I think probably would have been worth a first-round pick this last year, in my mind, if I didn't know I could get him in the second anyway. Um, and then in reality, if I want Burrow, what I'm going to do is trade back and get him, um, to do the whole humble brag thing. I'm usually drafting pretty late in the second round. Um, and I usually have a lot of good quarterbacks on my team and it, you know, it's guys like Watson, Mahomes, um, even someone like Winston where, you know, I'm just drafting very, very, very highly drafted quarterbacks at the end of the second round, um, because, they're much more likely than the other guys available at that pick to still be contributing on my team in 5 years. Does the longevity of tight end value weigh into that decision? For example, people are usually willing to give tight ends 3 years to develop, so their value doesn't tend to fluctuate as much based on their year 1 or 2 performance. Um I would have to look into whether they hold value as much. I I feel like counterintuitively enough they might not. People tend to, I I notice people are often impatient with with tight ends. And one could make the argument that the best thing to do with tight ends is not to draft them as rookies, but to trade for them in year two or year three. Um, I don't really like that approach. I don't like an approach that relies on other people doing inefficient things. Um, so if I really like a tight end, I would rather draft him myself and hold him. Um, but you know if if a guy's on the market and I like the price I'm happy to buy, I'm just not planning on buying a year down the road like if I like Kyle Pitts, I'm gonna get him. I'm not going to plan on getting him via trade in twenty twenty two or something um, The biggest argument against tight end is just tying up that roster spot for a year means that it, you're basically pot committed at that point you know you're you're if you draft a tight end in the first round of a rookie draft, you better be willing to sit on him for two or three years because otherwise, what are you doing? Drafting a a tight end there. Uh, You shouldn't be doing it. That's you have to go in with open eyes, recognizing that like, look, this roster spot's going to be tied up and in deeper leagues, it makes more sense than in shallower leagues to, to burn a roster spot like that. Um, But I, 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 when I first got into Dynasty, uh, 2007 was my first year. I think I had been, you know, dipping my toe into, you know, reading up on it in 2006, um, and in 2007 or 2008, I remember I had Antonio Gates as a top 10 startup pick, um, which was wildly against consensus at the time. But my reasoning was the same. Um, you know who can I be confident will still be providing a relative positional advantage five years from now? Um, and there were not a lot of guys I could be more confident about that than Gates, who was a multiple All Pro at that time. Um, so if if Pitts goes in the top ten of the NFL draft, and we don't, you know, we've only got two or three running backs in the top fifty, and there's the you know there's the first round isn't just filled with wide receivers. Um, Top six might be a tough sell, um, but then again, it might not be. It just depends on how the rest of the draft shakes out. I'm not opposed to it. All right. I think... I think I killed off all the encores so unless somebody wants to request Freebird I think we're uh, we're about wrapped up here All right. I uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm going to run. Um like I said, if I missed anything, I'm always on Twitter. Uh thanks for having me again. It's been fun. It's been real. Uh and have a good one.